Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Before we turn to God's Word, our text is 2 Samuel chapter 8. You can see that in your bulletin. You have it in its entirety. Let me make a confession. As a former associate pastor of mine years ago used to say, honest confession is good for the soul. Here's my honest confession. Some text of Holy Scripture I am reluctant to preach. Reluctant not so much because of the text itself, but because of how that text tackles the divisive issues of our day. Or because that text requires of me, if I'm faithful to it and the preaching of it, it requires of me to speak into a politically charged and divisive time. Because I know what I need to say about a particular text like 2 Samuel chapter 8 in such a politically charged context, I know that what I have to say has to be carefully laid out. And, and, and you've got to hear it. And you've got to hear it and not misunderstand what I'm saying. There are times like that and this text brings me to one of those times. That's where I find myself this morning. That's what I told uh, the, the congregation as it was gathered at 9 o'clock. Over the past four plus months, as we all well know, our nation has become, or I think maybe it's, it's better put, our nation is evidencing how tribal we already are. And, and it seems like the tribes of our nation, the camps, during these past four and a half months, have become only more strident. And, and, and you know this, oftentimes the camps, the tribes, they lob volleys at one another, don't they? And they talk past one another. We talk past, we don't actually hear one another. And that's sad in our general social, cultural, national context. It's even sadder when that tribalism seeps into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's even sadder when we find that tribalism, whether we like it or not, we find it in the church, in the church that believes in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and that there is true reconciliation in Jesus and through His blood. And it's terribly sad when we find that sort of tribalism uh, in the church consisting of the, the believers and the Lord Jesus Christ, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who should follow Christ in His self-giving love. 
thinking more highly of others than ourselves. So, brothers and sisters, there are texts of Holy Scripture that I'm reluctant to preach. And in these moments of reluctance, and in these moments of weakness on my part, I take comfort that, as, as Paul said in the children's sermon, it's not my responsibility to cause the seed of God's Word planted in the soil of your heart to grow. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. My responsibility is to plant that seed. I take comfort in the fact that it's not in, in my ability to parse words, to thread the needle in a politically charged context. It's not dependent upon me and my abilities. I'm depending upon the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit at work through His preached Word. And I'm also very much encouraged in my moments of reluctance and weakness for the consistent practice of working through, preaching through books of the Bible. Text after text after text. Because when we do that, we come to passages like 2 Samuel chapter 8. Passages that, if I had my rathers, I'd skip. We're not skipping it this morning. Let's hear it. Let's hear 2 Samuel chapter 8. After this, after chapter 7, hold that thought. After this, David defeated. Now we're going to see that word again and again and again, okay? David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methag Amah out of the hand of the Philistines. I have no idea what that is, but I know he did it. Verse 2. And he defeated Moab. And he measured them in, with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to be put to death, one line to be spared. And the Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. David defeated Hadadezer, son of Rehob, of king of Zobah, as he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for a hundred chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Amram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. And notice this, and it's repeated in the text, so it's important. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold, ceremonial shields, the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Batah and from Barathai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took very much bronze. And when Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadadezer, Toy sent his son Joram 
to King David. And let me pause there. If you went to 1 Chronicles and saw the parallel, this man Joram has another name. That name basically means dedicated or servant of uh, or leaning upon Baal or Baal. But in 2 Samuel, he is sent to King David with a new name, Joram. Dependent upon not the ball, not the pagan god, but dependent upon Yahweh. To toys in his son Joram to King David to ask about his health and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadazer and defeated him, for Hadadazer had been often at war with Toy. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. These also King David dedicated to the Lord together with the silver and gold that he dedicated from all the nations he subdued. And by the way, as we're, uh, we're, we're told basically in, in the Chronicles uh, account of this, he would use that in the building, or Solomon would use much of this in the building of the temple. From Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadazer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom he put garrisons of all, and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Notice verse 15. So David reigned over all of Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. David administered justice and equity to all his people. Joab, the son of Zerai, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilub, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahiatub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests. And Saraiah was secretary. And Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And David's sons were priests. Now that's a general idea. They weren't Levitical priests, but they were an office. They had an office of servanthood within the administration of King David. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. Let's dive into the text. Let's, let's get to this convicting text, a text that I believe challenges all of us, and it challenges the different tribes that we find ourselves in today. And I want to get at 2 Samuel chapter 8 by asking just three simple questions. The first question is this, how should we answer a common challenge to a text like this and other texts of Holy Scripture? How should we handle, answer a challenge to the text? Secondly, how are we to understand the meaning of the text? And then lastly, how should we apply the meaning, the points of the text to our personal lives in our personal time in this setting in which we find ourselves in? Okay? Three questions. How do we handle the challenge? What's the meaning? And now how do we apply it? So let's go there with me. First of all, how should we answer the challenge? And I, I suspect there are all kinds of challenges to the text. There's one that just pops out to me. How do we handle the challenge of this text? My suspicion is that when I read 2 Samuel chapter 8, and we get past all those names that are hard to read, this text 
might be a bit troubling to you. Troubled if you paid attention. You see, I think this particular chapter, along with other Old Testament chapters in particular, they can be somewhat jarring to our modern sensibilities, our modern and, dare I say, Western sensibilities. This text would certainly offend, as you well know if you pay attention to this text, it would certainly offend unbelievers in our culture, wouldn't it? Many of them. Some, some of them, and maybe some of you, I hope not, but some might read this text and think, and maybe actually even say, how utterly barbaric, how utterly primitive. Now when a person challenges a text of Scripture like this, notice what's happening. That person is putting himself or herself where? Above the text. They put themselves in the judge's seat and they look down from that lofty position upon 2 Samuel chapter 8 and they found, find it wanting. They find it deficient. Slaughtering Philistines. Slaughtering Moabites. Slaughtering thousands of Syrians. Slaughtering Edomites, hamstringing horses, really? Really? And to make matters worse, your God, Christian, enabled him to have these victories? Can you hear that sort of sneering challenge? It's out there, isn't it? Now, there's so much to say in answer to such a common critique that comes our way from an unbelieving world. We could go into a discussion about the nature of these people. We could go delve into archaeology and as much history as we could find, and we could, we could recognize the depravity of many of these nations. Right? We could do that. Uh, we could go into uh, a discussion of the nature not only of these particular enemies, but of all of us. Of, of, of our sinfulness. That, that how we're all guilty before the Lord. Uh, at, 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 where we all deserve to be defeated, right? We could talk about the possibility that the fact that the God who gives victory to someone like David... That doesn't necessarily mean that God condones every action of the victor, right? God could give victory to David, and David in, in, in that victory could do things that could be sinful. We could talk along those lines, and we could rightly talk about the fact that all people, including David, as we've already seen and as we most definitely will see as we continue on through 2 Samuel, how all people are sinners. And that our heroes, and this is something I try to get across every year to my history students, our heroes, right, are, 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 are yes, heroes, but they have what? warts. They have flaws. They have sins. They have blind spots. And we don't hide 
those blind spots. We don't ignore them. We don't whitewash them. We don't you know, sing the praises of fallen human beings as if they're perfect. They're not. They, none are other than the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't hide those warts. But we also have to be careful not to use our cultural standards to judge their standard in their day. Yes, all cultures, all people fall under the perfect righteous standard of Almighty God. But brothers and sisters, let us not assume that our cultural standards are God's standard. Okay? So we have to be careful. And let's recognize that when God uses or when God blesses any human being outside the God-man, outside the Lord Jesus Christ, when God uses and God blesses any human being He is using, He is blessing a what? A sinner. A sinner. So let's not hide, let's not whitewash the sins, the flaws, the blind spots, the warts of our heroes. But let's also not minimize God's grace at work in the lives of such sinners. And let's not minimize God's freedom to choose to use who He wants, when and where He wants. We see in this text that clearly, do we not? God gave a flawed, sinful man by the name of David. He gave him what? The victory. The victory. And he did so for good kingdom purposes. So here is one of those areas where I, I was reluctant to go, but I must go. Let's not buy into cancel culture. But let us also not deny the sins and the warts of our heroes and our fathers of the faith. Let's not honor their sins. Let me carefully say that. Let us not honor their sins. But let us truly honor the God of grace who has used such sinners. God, as the old Puritans would say, can draw straight lines with what? Crooked sticks. David was a crooked stick. Brothers and sisters, Lee is a crooked stick. Brothers and sisters, you. Hope this doesn't offend you too much. You are crooked sticks, and God can use you. We can and we should say all that to our challenger. Let me just add this. The challenger, I believe, is likely uh, deficient and has a superficial view of human depravity and the fact that there are real enemies out there. And that challenger also most likely diminishes or is blind to our own primitive barbarisms. Like the barbarism of abortion. The bloodiness of abortion. There are plenty of other places on this globe, brothers and sisters, 
and in our time where people fully realize that they have real enemies arrayed against them. And those enemies are spiritual, but oftentimes those enemies are what? Human beings. And it's my suspicion that many of those brothers and sisters outside of the nice confines of the Western world, many of those brothers and sisters have far fewer quibbles or objections to things such as imprecatory psalms and real physical Old Testament battles where nations are defeated. Yes, our weapons in the new covenant on this side of the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, our weapons are spiritual. They are not physical. Jesus told His disciple in the garden to do what with the sword? Put it up. God, through the apostle Paul, tells us what to do, Christians. Put on the full armor of God. And that armor, is it physical? Spiritual. Yes. Yes and yes and amen. But brothers and sisters, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has real spiritual and real physical enemies. And the dominion of darkness, as one commentator put it, is not defeated by a bloodless coup. The, the dominion of darkness is not defeated by a bloodless coup. The first blood in the defeat of the dominion of darkness was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed on the cross. And in the second coming of Christ, brothers and sisters, blood will be shed. When Jesus Christ will defeat all His and all our enemies. And those enemies are spiritual and those enemies are physical. Finally note where the challenger places himself. Places himself or self over the Bible. That's a pretty arrogant move, is it not? The older I get, the more I'm convinced that R.C. Sproul was right. When a person has a problem with the text of Holy Scripture, the problem is not with the Scripture. The problem is with the person. So let us be careful with the Scriptures. Let us ask that the Lord would always grant us humility to be judged by the Scriptures and prevent us and keep us from the arrogance of judging the Scriptures. Let's move on to the more important question. How should we understand the meaning of this text? In other words, what's the point? What are the points? Pretty simple. What's the author saying here in this text? Well, think about where we find this text. What's the number for this chapter? Eight. What comes before eight, children? Seven. What was in chapter seven? That amazing speech of Almighty God given through the prophet Nathan to David. And in that speech, what does God do? I think he does some of these things. I think he promises to make David's name great. I think he promises to appoint a place for his people Israel. And I think he promises to give David rest 
from all of his enemies. What's happening in chapter 8? All those things. All those things. God, through the actions of David, is making a name for David. God, through the offensive actions of David and his troops, is expanding the land for the kingdom. And God is giving David rest from his enemies. What is happening? What's the point? God is faithful to his promises. What he says is true. What he says is trustworthy. He will fulfill his promises. God is such a gracious and faithful God. The chapter is organized geographically. David strikes out to the west, southwest. Then he strikes out to the east. Then he strikes to the north. Then he strikes to the, to the south. And the land, the kingdom land is expanding and is interesting. It's expanding from the Euphrates to where? The Nile. And that's the same stretch of land God had promised to Father Abraham. Brothers and sisters, God keeps His promises. And, and, and that initial fulfillment to, to, to David didn't drain the promises of Almighty God. God continues to expand His kingdom, does He not? God continues to expand His kingdom through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, taking the gospel to the four corners of the earth, to every tribe, to every nation, and to every tongue. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And the Lord gives, the Father gives victory to the Son of David through the Spirit working through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ wherever the Lord Jesus Christ through His Spirit in His church goes. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. In the complete and final fulfillment of this promise, brothers and sisters, no matter how dark it seems around you today, the great and full fulfillment of this promise is certain because God keeps His promises. And because Jesus Christ on the cross crushed the head of the serpent. Everything else between now and the second coming and the second coming as well is a mopping up exercise. Dear ones, we follow a certain and glorious victor if we follow Jesus. But the text isn't just about battles. It's about what the king does with the peace that he wins. Notice verse 15. This is critical. This is another area where uh, I'm reluctant to go. But we're going there. So David reigned over all of Israel. And David administered, notice, justice and equity to his favorites, to the rich, to his tribe, Judah. Is that what the text says? What does it say? To all his people. Justice and equity for all of his people. I want you to consider who that sounds like. 
Who does this sound like, dear ones? One who's conquered and one who administers justice and righteousness. Listen to some words, familiar words, from the book of Revelation. Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has what? Conquered. What does the prophet Isaiah say about this root of David, this lion of the tribe of Judah? He says this, With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And is Isaiah just a lone wolf? What does Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, say? He says, he, the Messiah, shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. What does the psalmist say that the throne of Almighty God is built upon? What's the foundation of the very throne of God? Justice and righteousness. Justice, righteousness, equity for the poor, for the meek, for all of His people. Justice, righteous, equity for the poor, for the meek, and for all of His people. And it's at this point in this sermon that I was reluctant to preach that I need an amen. That's our king. That's our king. That's what he does. That's what he's doing. Now, how do we apply this text? We aren't David, are we, brothers and sisters? And we're obviously not Jesus. Some of us more than others. As beautiful it is for us to see God giving a fallen sinner like David, who's so much like us, how, it's beautiful to see how God gives him the victory and then uh, him using that victory to minister justice and equity. And as encouraging as it is, knowing that the ultimate victory in Jesus will then bring forth, will usher in justice and righteousness and equity in the land of the new heavens and the new earth, and all wrongs will be righted, where does that leave us in between? Between David and the second coming of Christ. Here are my two applications. First one's real quick. One, I pray that it leaves us with a changed mind and a changed heart. That we revel in the faithfulness of our promise-keeping God. And, and we don't doubt it. And our affections are drawn ever closer to such a gracious and glorious God. That's my first application. But here's where the rubber meets the road. My second application is, I pray it moves us to reflective action. Reflective action. Now, I said in the 9 o'clock service, I've said it before, I rip off Dale Ralph Davis's comments all the time. Because he's just fabulous. And and he's got some fabulous illustrations. Here's a good one. And I track with it, okay? And as you track with it, I think you will see where he's going. Davis wrote, my wife is is from Kansas. And she rather likes her uh, native state. 
And he says, at this time, we had not lived in Kansas for over 20 years. He said, at that time, they were currently settled in Mississippi. He was teaching at RTS Jackson, I believe, at the time. He said, just off of our patio, however, is a small plot, perhaps 15 by 7 feet. And he said, that small plot was loaded with samples of native Kansas plants and grasses and flowers. He said, several years ago, you see, Barbara sent off for the basics of a Kansas garden. I didn't know there was such. She sent off for the seeds for a Kansas garden. Seeds, planting seeds in soil. He said, we prepared the plot. We souped up the soil a bit because the soil of Mississippi, as good as it is, it's not necessarily good. how good and rich the soil of Kansas is, at least portions of it. And he said, now Kansas visibly thrives outside our back window. He said, Barbara had made a bit of Kansas appear in Mississippi. That's what we are to be about, brothers and sisters. But not a bit of Kansas. What are we to be about? A bit of the kingdom of Almighty God right outside our windows. The text invites us to do the same with the kingdom of Christ. We don't rule this kingdom, but dear ones, we are to exemplify this kingdom. We are to reflect this kingdom. We ought to be planning this kingdom. We ought to be planning it where God places us. That means you should be planting the seeds of justice and righteousness for all of God's people where you are here in this congregation. It means that you should be doing the same when you go home and find yourself on, at whatever address you, you're going home to. It, it, it means doing the same in your online presence. Many of us have it, don't we? And, and it means planting those seeds of justice and righteousness throughout this community of Huntersville and by God's grace throughout the world. And this is the way we do it, brothers and sisters. We, we go out and we proclaim the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that there can be reconciliation between a holy God and a sinner such as ourselves. And it is through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's through His blood there can be reconciliation between God and man. And because there can be that, there can be reconciliation between man and man. Between Jew and Gentile in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, based upon that peace with God, if by God's Spirit a heart is changed, and they are reconciled unto the Father through the blood of Christ, now that person can do what? Be reconciled to others, and based upon the peace we have with God, we plant the seeds of justice. And righteousness. Not the world's justice, not the world's version of righteousness, God's justice, God's definition of righteousness. Here's the point, brothers and sisters. If you and I, if the church of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't seek to proclaim this gospel of hope, and it doesn't seek to plant these seeds of justice and righteousness, who will? Who will? 
Will the Veterans Club over here do it? Will City Hall do it? Will the President of the United States do it? Will the Congress of the United States do it? Will the Supreme Court of the United States do it? Will Marxists do it? Will unbelieving, materialistic, secular, dare I say this, capitalists do it? Who don't know Christ? And will the world get it from us? If, as Lincoln Duncan has so eloquently put it, we are sucking our thumbs on the sideline doing nothing. told you I was reluctant to preach this sermon. Let's pull it all together. I want you to hear the words of a theologian, an antebellum southern theologian. A theologian, I have his collected works behind my desk, if you want to see them, who was brilliant, absolutely brilliant and has, has written some amazing things, very helpful. But a man who, let me be frank with you all, had horrific views on slavery. It's a crooked stick. And we will not honor his crookedness. We will honor the God of grace who used such a crooked stick is James Henley Thornwell. Thornwell got this right. He didn't get slavery right by a long shot. But he got this right. Thornwell wrote, natural religion, and that is the religion of anybody outside the kingdom of Christ. Natural religion is unsuited to the condition of a sinner. It makes no provision for the pardon of the guilty. It knows nothing of mercy, nothing of the restoration to, favor, to the favor of God. Conducted upon the principle of distributive justice, it promises life to the obedient, declares death to the transgressors, and get this, opens no door of hope to the wretched who has incurred its curse. Natural religion, the religion of unbelievers, opens no door of hope. The hashtag crowd offers no door of hope. The other tribe offers no door of hope. Who offers the door of hope. It should be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church that has the gospel of Christ. And it's that gospel, and that gospel alone, by the power of the Spirit, that will change hearts. It's the church and the church alone that has God's Definition of justice and righteousness. And is unafraid to proclaim such. To plant such seeds in all humility 
in all love, in all trust, in the promise-keeping God of Holy Scripture, including 2 Samuel chapter 8. In the next couple of weeks, Lord willing, we will, as 2 Samuel unfolds, we'll get a glimpse of what such justice and righteousness should look like and should not look like. But for now, this is what I ask. Pray that the Lord would cause your heart to be soft, fertile soil to receive this word. Let's pray. Father, break our hearts, till the soil of our hearts. May the seed of your word fall deeply and by your blessing grow. Grow to a hundredfold or more for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Enable us to follow our King wherever he leads. It's in his name we pray. Amen.